So, all right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today, an opportunity to come and to worship you. Uh, Father, we pray uh, that uh, you would be glorified in everything that is said and that is done today. We pray uh, for your word to come anew to us this morning. Uh, Father, if it's a, a verse that we've heard a hundred times, help us to hear it new. Uh, Father, I pray that it would be your words, nothing more and nothing less. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I learned the power of words uh, when I was a freshman in high school. My aunt and uncle owned a farm, and so they just kind of had acreage. They didn't really do anything with it, and then they built a barn. And what they basically had was a nursing home for horses, but they would have... People bring their horses here, they would keep them for a fee if they didn't want to keep them in their barn or anything, but eventually they decided, hey, we'd like to have a horse, and so they bought one. And they invited my brother and I to come out and to ride this horse. And so our two cousins who are younger than us, they went first, and my uncle stood beside them the whole time. My brother, who's a couple years younger than me, got on, and my uncle stood beside him the whole time. And then came me, and he said, you know what, you're older, and I trust, trust you, and so you can ride this. Let me know. It's been trained, though, so if you kick it, it's going to go faster, and if you pull back the reins, it will go slower. And I was like, well, this is, this is easy enough. Now, you've got to imagine, I was 6'1 at this time riding a horse. So it was already ridiculous to even look at someone this tall riding a horse. And so I'm going down, and we're walking around. I was like, okay, kick it, make it go a little bit faster. So I kicked it, and we went a little bit faster. And then because I was a teenager, I decided that I was going to do what they did in the movies. And so we got down to a certain point, and I said, giddy up, just thinking. And that thing took from a nice trot to I'm going to win the Kentucky Derby in like two steps. And so if you thought it was ridiculous for a six foot one guy riding a horse to start with, you should see a six one foot one guy holding on for a dear life trying to ride a horse. And Ed's going everywhere and I am freaking out and I'm realizing that I didn't really pay attention. I was thinking, now which one's the brake? Which one's the gas? Like what, what am I supposed to do here? And then we come over a hill and my uncle with eyes realizing we should not have let him go by himself says, pull back, pull back, pull back. And so I pull back and slowly we, we get down to a normal speed, and I immediately steered the horse over. I said, you take him. I'm never doing this again. And I get off, and I said, why didn't you tell me that it has verbal cues as well as physical cues? He goes, oh, we didn't know, but thanks for letting us know. I was like, that would have been helpful, really helpful, because I really thought I was dying back there. So this, this wasn't good, but I learned the power of words, and I wish... I wish that every instance that I said something that I regretted, it was this funny. I, I wish that it didn't have the repercussions that it has. And I wish in your life it's the same way. Words that someone said to you or words that you said to someone, I, I, I wish that it was just a fun story. But we know that oftentimes when we speak really fast, we usually say something really hurtful because we don't think about it. If we go back a few weeks in our study of James, James said to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because our speech is powerful. 
the last couple of weeks we've been focusing on how James has now taken this, this wisdom and says this is what it looks like. He says your faith is dead unless it is providing you the motivation to go out and do things. And so he, he said pure religion is taking care of widows and orphans in their distress. And then last week we talked about how you shouldn't just look at someone's need and say, well, I really hope someone helps you with that. Be warm and well fed and, and leave them. He says no, faith if not accompanied with action uh, or without action is dead. And so what we have to realize is, is that it does apply to our speech too. It's not just going and serving. It's not just going on mission trips. It's not just providing food for a food pantry or clothes for a clothes drive. It, 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 faith lived out means that, that we're careful in everything that we do to make sure that our actions match up with our faith. And this is where James is in James 3. And so because we are slow to speak, that means we have time on our hands to weigh our words. And so I want us to realize that there's really three questions we need to ask ourselves every time that we speak or before we speak. James 3.1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. I talked about this a little bit last week. We talked about how here at East 40 we want to connect people with God, and we do that uh, through a variety of ways, but one of the ways is we want our teaching to be true. We want to make sure that we preach the truth from the Word of God, that we don't add to it and we don't take from it, that, that we make sure that we present it in a way and we ask for your prayers, and it's because of this verse. Those who teach will be judged more strictly. God doesn't take lightly someone coming and messing up His Word. It's His Word. And He wants people to be clear communicators of that. And so we ask for your prayers in that. But I know that some of you have no intention of ever preaching. I know some of you have no intention of ever teaching. And so you may think that this doesn't apply to us, but it actually gives us a pretty good indication of the first question we should ask ourselves before we speak. And and that's that. Uh, Or it's this. Do I know what I'm talking about? How many times would you have kept your mouth shut if this was the first question that you asked? Do I know what I am talking about? Think back to your favorite teacher or your favorite professor in college. They probably knew what they were talking about, right? They knew the information. They were able to clearly communicate with you. You didn't have to wonder if they just read that on the Internet before they got to class, or if they, a book, I guess, for some of us, not the Internet. But we, we didn't have to guess. We knew they knew their stuff. Now, you may have had a favorite class where the teacher didn't know what they were doing, but your favorite teacher was someone who knew their stuff. And the same is true with us. When it comes time for us to talk, we have to ask the question, do I know what I'm talking about? And if the answer is maybe, or if the answer is no, we probably shouldn't proceed with speaking. Because when we're in a position to speak, we have to make sure that what we say is correct and what we say is beneficial. beneficial. Proverbs 18.13 says, To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. If we just immediately answer the first thing that comes off of our heads, we're going to give the impression that we know something that we do not know. Or better, or worse yet, we're going to be revealed as someone who thinks they know something that we do not know. Two things. It's, it's okay for you to say, I don't know. Now, I know you grew up taking tests and quizzes and people demanding an answer from you. But it's okay to say, I don't know especially when it comes to matters of spiritual life. 
Should we continue in our study? Yes. Should we aim to learn as much as we can? Yes. But it is more damaging to speculate and give a wrong answer than to delay and study and find the right one. It is. It's more harmful to just say, well, I think God would do this instead of reading the Bible to see what God would actually do. It's okay to say, I don't know, let me look it up and let me get back to you. Because if you don't, you can give a wrong answer. And when you give a wrong answer about who God is, you really mess up someone's view of God. And so we have to ask the question, do I know what I'm talking about? James continues, he says, We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. James takes a a pause here, and he's going to do it again here in a couple of verses, to make sure that they know, and their readers know, we're all in the same boat here. James isn't writing as someone who never slips up in what they say. In fact, he says, listen, if you're able to do that, you're perfect. If you're able to keep everything that you say in line and make sure that you never misspeak, you're perfect. Guess what? None of us are perfect. So you're going to mess up. Does that give us a green light to say whatever we want to? No, it most certainly does not. But it gives us assurance that we're all in this together. And so he continues. He says, well, when we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal, unless you say something dumb and tell them to hurry up. But, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder. Whenever the pilot wants to go, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body and sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. James wants to make it very clear the danger of misspeaking. The danger of saying things that we shouldn't say. And so the first question is, do I know what I'm talking about? The second question is, is what I'm about to say getting me to where I need to go? We need to have a destination in mind, and I think as Christians is that we need to make sure that we are loving God and loving people in everything that we do. So that's our destination. That's where we should be going. And so we should ask the question, do I know something about this? Yes. Second question, is it going to get me to where I need to go? Now, I don't know about you. Some of you, you find one way to get to a place, and that's good enough for you. And come whatever traffic may be, you will go that way. I'm not wired like that. All right? I've been to Zanesville five different ways already because I want to know, because your preacher isn't patient, I want to know if there's a traffic jam somewhere, I can turn up this street, this street go down another street, and I can get back to where I, I need to go. Now, I have also gotten lost three times going to Zanesville because... I took a wrong turn. I went somewhere where it actually didn't help me get to where I needed to go. We need to ask the question about our, our words. Does this get me to where I need to be? Does this get me towards godliness? Does this get me towards evangelism? And if the answer is no, we probably shouldn't say it. Listen to how James describes this concept. Verse 3, he wants us to understand that Satan wants to control what we say to take us where we don't want to go. Now, I've been in ministry for 13 years now. And the times that I've seen someone walk away from their faith, 
Their first indication was not a Facebook post. It wasn't getting arrested. It wasn't anything. The first indication was they started talking differently. I've seen it time and time again. They started making jokes they used to not make. They used to talk about people the ways they used to not talk about people. Their voice, their, their, their vocabulary changes, and then all of a sudden, the rest of the body goes with them. James wants us to know this is how it starts. If we don't watch our words, they're going to steer us in a way that we don't want to go. And so that's why we have to ask the question, does this word, does this Facebook post, does this whatever get me into the right direction? Verse 6, he says that the tongue is essentially a country within a country, right? It's like if, the, if our bodies were the United States, it's like one state that decides, nope, we're done. We're going to do whatever we want to do. That's the tongue. Everything else could be working in harmony, but the tongue is like, no, let's say something dumb today and we're going to do it. That's, that's the way it works. And so we have to make sure that we're constantly keeping it in check. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees in Matthew 12. He says, You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. This is sobering. Jesus says, you're going to say what comes from the inside. But he says, you're accountable for every word. Usually when we think about standing before God in judgment, we think about the time we picked on our sister, the time we stole something, the time we did something else. But it's pretty clear that God takes our words seriously. I don't know where the weekend vacation places up here, but back in Kentucky, it's Gatlinburg, right? It's Redneck Vegas. That's what we call it. It's Redneck Vegas, but we love going to Gatlinburg, and I don't know if you saw on the news last year, but there was a fire in Gatlinburg. Here's a picture of it, right? It it consumed so many businesses and people's homes, right? So many cabins that people were renting out. People's sources of income were now up in smoke. It started when three teenagers went on a hike and decided to light something on fire just to see what would happen. Just a small little fire quickly got out of control and it burned up everything and now they're on trial for arson. They didn't mean to do it. They just wanted to have a little fun. They wanted to start a little fire, and it destroyed a tourist attraction. I don't think we set out every day to say, I want to make sure my words absolutely ruin someone's life today. But we do. If we don't keep it in check, we're going to say things that are going to be detrimental to our witness and detrimental to someone else's well-being. A small spark can start a fire. That's why the psalmist says in one... Psalm 141 said, A guard over my mouth, Lord, keep watch over the doors of my lips. He says, Listen, basically, this imagery of God walking back and forth here, making sure nothing gets out that shouldn't get out. And he said, That's what I want. I want to make sure that you're my filter. I want God to be my filter to make sure that everything that I think I want to say goes through Him and is either said in a different way or not said at all. I want to make sure nobody gets in. And gets out. There was a there's every year I, on 9/11. There's a story that Politico did. It was an oral history of what it was like on Air Force One, and so they talked about how you know this is Air Force One. So they get checked before anybody ever gets in there. 
but they were in so much panic that for the first time they put someone at the guard of President Bush's office in Air Force One to make sure nobody got in in case there was an inside job and somebody was coming for them. They said, no one ever does that. You know, we may think that we're doing good because of our works, and we may feel good because we're doing some other things. The worst thing we can do is to let our guard down because one word can ruin it all. We have to make sure we're setting guards over our lips, making sure that we're not saying what we don't need to say. So we ask the question, do I know what I'm talking about? We ask the question, does it get me where I need to go? James reminds us again here in verse 7, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. There's a lot of things that we can really look up to Jesus about, but the fact that he lived on this earth and never said something bad, was that's pretty impressive. He says, listen, no man can do it. No man can tame the tongue. We just have to work really hard at making sure we're saying the right thing. And this is why. This is the important part. James 3, 9 says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is maybe the biggest question. More than do I know what I'm talking about, does it get me where I'm going? The third question is this. Would I say it in church? Would I say it in church? Because when we're at church, we're at our best. Right? We dress our best, some. We dress our best. We make sure our heart's right. We make sure we at least look like we're meditating during communion. We make sure that we look good. And we wouldn't dare say some stuff that we say out in the real world at church because that would be unbecoming. But James says, hey, you can't do that. You're always at church. You're the temple of God. Wherever you go, God goes with you. He says, you've got to be careful because you're praising God and then you're cursing people with the same mouth. This isn't the way it's supposed to go. Psalm nineteen fourteen says, May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Make sure, God, that I'm focused on saying the right thing. Make sure that I'm not just going to speak immediately. Help me to weigh my words. Why? Because it's important. James uses the illustration here of salt water kind of corrupting fresh water, and that's what happens. There's two different factors to that. Right? The first one is the fact that we worship God with words and then cut down people with words. It dilutes our worship with God. It does. It dilutes our worship with God. This, this pureness that we should bring to God with our words is diluted by the fact that we just told somebody where they could go before we got to church. Or the fact that we cut down our wife on the way here. Or the fact that we said something really cruel to our kids. Or the fact that we turned on the news and we just went on a Facebook rant before we got to church today. It dilutes our worship to God, but there's a second part of it. The second part of it is it's going to dilute your witness. Because there may be a day, and hopefully there's a day, that you go up to someone and you say, you know what, I would really like you to come to church with me. And they're going to look at you like, 
weren't you just talking bad about her? Do you remember the joke you told me last week that you thought was so funny? You really expect me to think there's something different about you if you just talk like everybody else? See, that's the way it goes. If we're not careful with our words, we not only dilute our praise to God, we dilute the witness that we'll have to other people. And this is why it's so important that we understand this this morning. Our words represent what we worship. So make sure that our words represent God. You talk to somebody who keeps talking about how much money they made this year, they're worshiping money. You talk to somebody who simply talks about how great their family is, how great they are, their past athletic accomplishments 27 years ago, they worship themselves. You have somebody who keeps talking about how cute or how good-looking their coworker is, even though you know they're married. They're worshiping sex or worshiping something else. You get in a situation where you see someone who only talks about their sports teams. They're worshiping them. You see our words, they give us a pretty good indication of what we worship. Now, I'm not saying that you constantly have to talk about Jesus, and I'm not saying that you constantly have to talk about church things. But what I am saying is that if something else comes out of our mouth or another subject comes out of our mouth, it needs to be pretty clear that it's not as big of a priority in our lives as Jesus is. And so this morning I have a question that the great theologian Gary Coleman said. What are you talking about? Seriously, what are you talking about? This morning on your way to church, what did you talk about? Yesterday, what did you talk about? When you went to work this week, what did you and your coworkers talk about? Because whatever we talked about, it represents what we worship. That's what we're taking home today. That's what we have to understand. People are going to know what's important in our lives based upon what we talk about. And yes, that goes for social media too. And the best way to talk about God is to experience Him. And so every Sunday we come here and we desire to worship God, not as a mere formality, but so that it has a radical change in our lives, so that our words are more apt to build up, to build God's kingdom than they are to tear down. But there's another thing that I've learned throughout my life, is that you can't talk about something you don't know for very long without being found out. And a lot of us maybe have played the Christian card and identified ourselves as a Christian our entire lives. But if we talked about it long enough, it would be pretty evident to those who are around us that we have no idea what we're saying. And every, morning, or every Sunday morning, we have this thing called an invitation. And we offer a couple of things. The first is, if you just have something going on in your life that you need prayer for, you want to come pray, then I'd love to pray with you. Some of our elders are up here, and they would love to pray with you. But every week, we give an invitation to come and know Jesus as your Savior. 
And maybe that's foreign to you. Maybe you have no idea what that means. What that means is that Jesus Christ died on the cross. He rose on the third day so that you and I can have access to God. And without Him, that's not possible. Not playing church, not going to the church, but it's belief in Jesus and accepting Him as Savior that gets you there. And maybe you don't quite know what that looks like, but that's why we have an invitation to come and to talk about this is what repentance looks like, and this is what baptism is, and this is what a new life looks like. And so if that's you this morning, then we're going to invite you to come forward in just a second. But guys, what are you talking about? Make sure that people know what you worship. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for creating us the way you did. And there's nothing that we have that's an accident. You've given us all a voice for a reason. If we are able to speak, it's because you want us to praise you and to use our words to love other people. Just like any other ability you've given us, you've given us the ability to speak so that we can make this world a better place, a place that more resembles your kingdom. And James is blunt, Father, that it's hard, and actually for us it's impossible. It helps us not to use that as a crutch, but as motivation to make sure as long as we can, as often as we can, we keep our words in check. But we know that that all begins with you in our hearts. And so, Father, I pray this morning that if maybe someone's here that's never made that decision to say that, that Jesus is the one who, who was who he said he was. He died, he rose, and that he's the Savior. And to give their life to them, to him, Father, I pray that today would be that day. For the rest of us, Father, help us to make sure that what we're worshiping is you. That's, you said to not have any other gods before you. So help us to make sure with our words we're, we're pretty clear that, that you're number one, that you're sitting on the throne of our lives and we don't want or need anything else. Father, whatever decision we need to make today, we pray that you would prompt us and that you would lead us to make that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>